Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God and His righteousness, which is quite a bit different than the righteousness of men today. As we were just listening to the news before the program, they were talking about corruption in Canada and corruption in Washington, D.C., and, and uh, you know, where half a million dollars is found in the coat pockets of some congressional member. It's amazing how much corruption is going on in the world today, and... Uh, Nobody seems to be able to do much about it. Uh, there's obvious corruption and in, in the institutions which man has created for himself to investigate this are not investigating those corruptions, but investigating, you know, little citizens uh, who've done minor things or done nothing wrong. And uh, they're getting slapped into jail and it's it's literally a holocaust of injustice taking place in the world today, all over the world, not just in America or Canada, uh, Australia, uh, certainly in China has been going on for a long time. And uh, the people can't seem to do much about it. And the reason why is the people are corrupt. They have a dysphoria with righteousness. <laughs> they are uncomfortable with the righteousness of God. And of course we have all kinds of religions who are talking about what is right and what is wrong and and what is good and what is evil and they uh, talk about loving Jesus. I I saw numerous posts today about people who think they are the body of Christ because they they have home churches or because uh, other groups will think they are part of the body of Christ because they are you know, Catholics or uh, Seventh-day Adventist or some sort of Protestant denomination. And they think, therefore, they identify with those groups, those denominations, those uh, philosophies. Even even the atheist identifies with atheism where he, you know, I heard an argument between a, a, a Catholic and an atheist this week. And uh, it it was pathetic. On, on both parts, because it really came down, I believe this, I don't believe that. And uh, and that's the totality of the arguments. They would jump all over, and nobody would follow anything back down to its source uh, of the problem or the disagreement, because they have a dysphoria with the truth. <laughs> they, they are uh, a state of uneasiness, and a generalized dissatisfaction with the truth. That's why we can listen to the news media about, you know, corruption in Canada or corruption in Australia or corruption in Washington, D.C. We can say, look at those guys. Oh, how terrible those guys are over there. And how, how abominable these are. And of course, evil loves that. They, they create great abominations amongst those who promote this dysphoria so that you have somebody to point at rather than look at yourselves. Because the weakness of society, I mean, 
we should have all figured it out just from watching Bugs Life. Remember the the moral of the story in Bugs Life, where one ant stands up, and then the danger is somebody else might stand up, and if they all start standing up and standing up together, the the totalitarian uh, elements of society dwindle away. Except for the fact that it takes more than just standing up. You have to overcome that dysphoria with the truth. And the way. And the light. And the righteousness of God. And of course people, that's why most people go to churches and have religions. Is because those religions give them a a, a form of godliness. That makes them feel good. Like I'm a part of this church. You know, we worship on the right day. And we, you know, have the right church that goes back to, you know, at least to Constantine, if not to Christ. <laughs> and, uh, they, uh, they are self-justified in who they are and what they are. And they don't want to go look at the truth. That they want to stay away from the the truth. It, I I saw a story today. I put some notes down about it, and uh, I shared it on Facebook with those who follow me on Facebook. And uh, of course, the people who follow me on Facebook, they can share it on their pages or on their Facebook uh, when I post certain things. But uh, I'm not. I'm not very good at social media. I mean, it's a real art to manipulating social media and going viral. And, of course, to go viral requires that lots and lots of people start reposting what you post and sharing what you post. And uh, if they already have a dysphoria for what you're telling, (laughs) they might occasionally like it, but they're not going to share it with somebody else. Because, you know, they might become a target. You know, somebody might investigate them or, or, or accuse them or think badly of them. And, uh, and that's almost as bad as thinking badly of ourselves. Uh, I told a story last week about, uh, uh, you know, my son when he was growing up, one of my sons when he was growing up and how he, he met a challenge and just one day he was going to resolve this issue. And uh, it, was, it was just a baby. He hadn't even learned to walk. And that was the challenge. He was going to learn to walk. And and he just, you know, we had tried to encourage him to walk, but he didn't have any place to go, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> and so finally when he decided, well, I want to go somewhere. I want to do something. And I'm going to need to walk to do it. He was going to learn to walk that day. And that's what he did. He just learned to walk that day. And he could afford to do that because his parents were taking care of him up to that point. And beyond. But uh, the reality is, is he met that challenge. And he's met lots of challenges since. I mean, he's got uh, children and grandchildren now himself. But, uh, you know, I, I can remember those days of his early development. And I always said I, I wasn't raising children. I was raising adults. I'm not, I don't think of my children as being little children who can't walk, can't talk, uh, can't do math or whatever it is as they're growing up. I think of them as adults and of what they could become. I don't project what that is. That will be their job and the job of the Holy Spirit. 
But uh, anyway, uh, uh, he evidently was listening to the program. <laughs> Maybe he's listening to it again, but actually I know he's, he's uh, probably too sore this morning to listen again because I know what he's been doing for the last few days. But uh, the, the reality is, is that, uh, you know, that's what each of us has to do is confront our own challenges and and willing to see it. it you know like patrick henry that he was he wanted to know the whole truth and, and wanted to be willing to know the whole truth and provide for it and and the one story that i i saw that they were talking about and and that was a one news channel that was posting it is that uh, who lack oversight who were receiving Huge amounts of funds because they were working for the government and the government was funding them in taking care of the needy immigrants coming into the country illegally. And that there's millions and millions and millions of illegal immigrants. Uh, you know, I know numerous people who are trying to get their green card or uh, or just got their green card after thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars of, of expenses. And meanwhile, their their spouses were working to support their family. They weren't on welfare. They weren't getting food stamps. and uh, But they were trying to do it the right way. Other people are just walking across the border and uh, walking right into literally... Typically, welfare situations where they're getting free stuff uh, from the government, from private charities. Well, anyway, the story was is that 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 some of these workers there that were funded by the government were making two hundred dollars an hour, almost two hundred dollars an hour. You know, fourteen thousand dollars like in a single week uh, from profits. You know, profiting from these systems that are just throwing money and encouraging people to come across the border uh, in vast numbers. They wouldn't even be coming in these numbers except for the benefits and welfare and handouts that they're going to get on the other side. At least they wouldn't be coming in these numbers. So they're actually being enticed. And of course there's people in these other countries telling everybody what they can get and and connecting them with all the people they can uh, get all these free benefits from, free housing, uh, free food, free checks, free phones, all these things they're just giving out because they're trying to seduce millions of people to come into the country. They're not trying to stop it. They're trying to seduce it. But, you know, do we need a wall? Do we need drones patrolling our borders? No. Uh, All this is coming about because of over a hundred years of participating in what uh, Alexis Tocqueville called legal charity. And what, you know, we have articles up about legal charity and and what that means. And uh, legal charity is not moral. Legal charity is diametrically opposed to the doctrines of Christ. Legal charity is where men who exercise authority one over the other force the contributions of the people. Take away from your neighbor by force. 
to provide welfare for other people. Now, the Bible tells us in Proverbs, Psalms, that such systems are a snare and run towards death. It says that over and over and over again in the Bible. But the churches all over the country are saying, no, 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 if you have a need, go to the men who exercise authority. Go to the men who take away from your neighbor, who force your neighbor to contribute to the funds that they have to give you, that actually even borrow against the future and curse your children with the debt that they're creating daily. I mean, they talk about the debt daily in the news going up by millions and billions and trillions of dollars. And your children are going into debt rapidly. And you don't see it. I mean, you do see it, but you don't see what the cause of it is. The cause is that you covet your neighbor's goods to the men who exercise authority. Because you want those benefits too. And you have a dysphoria with looking at you who is greedy for gain. Who look privately for the blood of your neighbor. In your cities of blood, we have an article, cities of blood, go read it. Take a look at it. Pray about it. Weep. Be sad that you have gone the way of Nimrod, of Cain, of Pharaoh, of the Caesars, of FDR, of LBJ, of Ocasio-Cortez. <laughs> I don't want to blame it on her. She's a latecomer to the scene. But that's all about coveting your neighbor's goods through the men who exercise authority. All these systems, Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, welfare, food stamps, all these systems are based on men who exercise authority, taking away from others or borrowing against the future of your children to provide you with free stuff, with a daily ministration of free bread, free food stamps, free whatever. And that's a covetous practice. It's against the Ten Commandments. It's against the law of God. It's against Christ. And all your churches say it's okay. And all your churches do it. I mean, there might be a few that say, yeah, it might not be a good idea. But they're all participating. All your ministers are, are they may say, oh, well, we don't want to, we don't want to count on that. You know, we, we got our 401k. Well, that's another sin. <laughs> not the 401k. I'm not against having a 401k. I'm not even against having Federal Reserve notes. But I know what they are. They're not just weights and measures. At the beginning of this program, the Federal Reserve notes in your wallet had a value. At the end of this program, they will have a different value. Because they're not just weights and measures. It is what is. And it's where we are born to. But now we have to learn to walk in the kingdom. That may mean that we have to get up and fall down. Get up and fall down. And keep getting up. And keep striving for the kingdom. Because that's what Christ said. Christ said strive. Christ said seek. Christ said persevere. So that's that's what you have to do. And in order to do that, you have to know what to do. In order to know what to do, you have to have the Holy Spirit. Not the emotional spirit that we see. In, I just put up an article uh, just a couple days ago. On the Jesus movement. 
and because so, somebody asked a question about was the Jesus movement uh, in 1971 a good thing for, or in the 1970s a good thing for Christianity? Some people said yes, because so many people were saved by that because they accepted Jesus. Well, how do you know they accepted Jesus? Well, they said they accepted Jesus. But that's not how the Bible says to tell. I mean, Jesus, Paul does talk about confessing the Lord. But confession has to do with what you do. James clarifies what you do. As, you know, if, if you don't have the works of righteousness, the righteousness of God, which is what Jesus said to seek, then you're probably not saved. If you, you know, they say, well, I'm born again. Well, read the next verse. Right after that. Don't have a dysphoria for reading the next verse. Right after that. This says that if you're doing, still doing works of iniquity, you're not born again. No matter, no matter how much you imagine it. I mean, how many times do they talk about false Christs? What's a false Christ? People who say they're anointed. See, people who say that they're your ministers. That you should be listening to them. Because they know the doctrines of Jesus Christ. I just tell you what the doctrines are. I don't want you to listen to me. I want you to listen to the Holy Spirit. But in order to listen to the Holy Spirit, you have to have to seek it. Yeah, if the Holy Spirit and the tree of life are the same thing, what keeps us from the tree of life is that there's a light there that shines in all directions. That's what it says in the book. There was a... There was a light that shined in every direction. And so to approach the tree of life, to approach the Holy Spirit, you have to come into the light. And when you come into the light, you're not just going to see that Trudeau's got a problem and Australia leaders got a problem and Biden's got a problem and Trump's got a problem and uh, Mendez, who with uh, half a million dollars in cash in his pockets, has a problem. You're going to see you have a problem. You have a problem. You haven't been seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness, which actually was a form of government. You know, when they were translating the King James Bible, you know, King James was looking over their shoulder. And they did a pretty good job. And we still have the Greek. We can look at the Greek. But if we had the Holy Spirit, we wouldn't even have to look at the Greek. But because a lot of you think you have the Holy Spirit and you actually just have emotionalism, we have to look at the Greek and say, you know, polytume doesn't actually mean conversation. So when Paul talks about his conversation in heaven, He's actually talking about his polytuma in heaven, which is the administration of civil affairs. That's that's what it means. Polytuma means to be a citizen. To be a citizen of what? Of the kingdom of God. The government of God. You know, that was another post that somebody made about, you know, quoting Mark 11, talking about coming into the temple. And I don't know what translation he was using, uh, but I know some of the words in in those verses of chapter 11 where he talks about vessels being moved in the temple. Jesus is giving commands 
in the temple. Yeah, you can't do this. He's firing the money changers and you, you can't carry these vessels. Now, there's a lot of discussion as to what that means looking at the, the Hebrew Bible that covers the same text. Because uh, there is a Hebrew Bible and the Peshtida and all this stuff. That the vessels might have been the word for weapons. You weren't to carry weapons anymore. Well, why are you carrying weapons? Well, there were guards there. The apostles were carrying weapons. Uh, but they didn't want weapons in the temple. That's one interpretation. I'm not saying that's true. I'm just just having a conversation here. But not the conversation Paul talked about. Because when they translate that word into polytuma, into conversation, he's talking about conducting the civil affairs of a government. But of course, the government of Christ is a peculiar government. Because it's a government of the people, for the people, and by the people. Which is why they were peculiar people. They weren't persons. They were peculiar. They were individuals. Who came together in free assemblies. That's the word they use in the Old Testament. We use the word congregation in the New. But the free assemblies didn't pay any taxes. They paid a tithe. That tithe went to priests. And if you go all the way back to the altars of Abraham and the altars of Moses and the Jehovah Nisi altar that Moses set up, those are all systems of social welfare. But of course, Yahweh, the Lord, said that all the offerings that go to his altars had to be free will offerings. And that's the distinction between the kingdom of God and the kingdoms of the world. Because most of the kingdoms of the world have offerings based on forced offerings. Where you create your cities of blood, where you all be the flesh in the pot. Go read the article, Cities of Blood. The cauldron. They talk about this over and over again. They talk about it in Exodus. Prager didn't get it when they brought it up in Jordan Peterson's study. He says, oh, they're just talking about fish. They're, they're cooking fish. No, no. Talking about cooking one another and taking a bite out of one another, which we see all the way up in the New Testament. And you're still taking bite of one another through men who exercise authority. I mean, you don't actually go to your neighbor's house and take a bite out of him. But if he doesn't contribute to your kid's free education, the sheriff will come and take a bite out of him. They will take his house away from him. That's that's the modern system that you have created. Your father has created and your fathers before them have created because it's been going on now for a hundred years in America. It wasn't that way originally. But you've been under a mass formation of say dysphoria. Let's say, well, let's call it dysphoria. Mass formation of dysphoria where you have an uncomfortable dissatisfaction with the truth. <laughs> and you... The truth is, you need to see your part in the problem in order to find the solution. You need to be able to walk into the light. Because that's what you're supposed to be, is a city on the hill. And a light to the world. But the church, the modern church, is not that anymore. But, we'll talk more about this when we come back to Keys to the Kingdom.
welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. And uh, again, I'm Brother Gregory. And we're, we've got a numerous sites up that talk about all these things in greater and greater detail. And I'm constantly, every day I'm adding to the site and every day I'm, you know, we're, we're either putting up audios or we're extending, uh, the articles that we have there. And, and I have a whole article on conversation and, uh, even the, the body of Christ versus the body of the state. But, uh, that was another quote from somebody who's in home church group that's talking about the, that, you know, when we sit as the body of Christ, yeah, but you don't sit as the body of Christ. Because you do not have a daily ministration that takes care of the needy of your society through faith, hope, and charity. You, When you sit down to eat at the welfare tables of whatever system you belong to, whether you're in Australia or the United States or China or whatever, you sit down and eat the tables of the men who exercise authority one over the other. Uh, the, the tables of rulers that uh, serve you dainties at the expense of your neighbor. You're not bound together by love. Oh, you say, well, I we do love our neighbor as ourselves. No, your actions, your works, as James says, shows that you don't love your neighbor because you are sending armed men to your neighbor's house to gather the funds or to pay the interest on the funds you borrowed against the future to take care of the needy of your society. And some of you say, well, we don't do that. You know, we home teach. We take care of our own. Well, that's good. But are you seeking the kingdom of God or just your little local group? Because, see, the kingdom of God was able to send, and this is what we see in Acts. And we see in all the writings of Paul is that they're they're sending aid all over the known world to help out the needy of their society. If you're not doing that, you're not seeking the kingdom of God. You're seeking something. I don't know what you're seeking, but it's not the kingdom of God. You don't have another king one Jesus. You're not doing what he said. And therefore, you really aren't a Christian And you probably aren't born again. But that is the good news. If you will hear it. It's only good news if you will hear it. If you will not hear it, then that's bad news. But if you will hear it, turn around, repent, think differently. And start seeking the kingdom of God. God will run out and meet you halfway. Because you're the prodigal son. Returning to the ways of righteousness. And he had a parable about that. Father ran out to meet him. Coming and there was a feast. Because you actually repented. And were willing to walk in the light. But a lot of times the people think that this for you the pain of seeing that it's me. It's my fault. You know, I could blame it on previous generations. Or I can Step up, stand up for Christ and start doing things the way Christ said it all along. That's going to make the difference. So, what we were talking about last week was, you know, this mass formation and and the book by uh, Matthias 
uh, Desmond, uh, the psychology of totalitarianism. And, and we've talked about it before, is that, you know, the despot, even the beast that is going to do all these bad things in prophecy, is absolutely dependent upon the little beast in the hearts of all the people who look to him, or to follow him, or support him, or elect him. And he's made more a beast by the beast in their own hearts. Now that's that's the way I have said it. Desmond says it a little bit different. But he says it just the same. <laughs> if you... And it's always good to listen to the way other people... This is why we have actual conversations, not the polytumay that they said Paul was having with heaven. But this is why we have the actual conversations with each other where we speak to each other. It's to try to find out what do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? Why do you use that word? Why do you say it that way? See, in modern Christendom, we've had people come here and they say, oh yeah, we agree with you 100%. But if we don't say things exactly the way they want us to say them, according to their translation and interpretation of the Bible, they go off. Well, what they go off to do? I, I know some of these guys still to this day. Some of them have passed away. But they go off and they're not doing the kingdom. Because see, they didn't really believe in the kingdom. They believed in an ideology. And Desmond talks about ideologies. Jordan Peterson talks about ideologies. And, and unfortunately, most people don't believe in Christ. They believe in an ideology that they created around what they've read about Christ or what they've been told about Christ by these false Christs, these false anointed, those who say they're anointed, that they're teaching Christ and are not really teaching Christ. They're not really te- And you know that they're false because where they have led you to. They've led you back into the bondage of Egypt. They've led you back in the under totalitarianism. And, and all these different nations. And, and th- that totalitarianism is now what you're seeing. And you want to look at the totalitarianism and blame everything on that. But you don't want to see your part. But anyway, hopefully you're listening here because you are willing to see, <laughs> see your part. And we're going to share with you some of the vocabulary of of uh, Matthias Desmond. Because one of the things about mass formation of psychosis or uh, ideology or any of these things, one of the things about that is that uh, it actually has a residue effect from generation to generation. Because the kingdom of God is from generation to generation. And uh, that's, that's where we're at. And, and we're in that situation where from generation to generation uh, we're following not the ways of righteousness but the ways of the world. The ways of Nimrod. The ways of 
Caesar, the ways of uh, Cain, and uh, the ways of the cities of blood. So, in chapter 5 of his book, uh, he gives a summary of the first few chapters. He says that the first chapter is science tipped from open-mindedness to dogma and blind conviction. In other words, science became an ideology instead of an observation. Instead of a means to explore and seek the truth. And the truth of creation, the truth of what's going on in the universe. One of the things that Desmond constantly points out is, you know, these scientists like Galileo and Newton, even more recent scientists like uh, Einstein and uh, and uh, the different ones who, you know, von Braun and different guys, that they all come to a point where they say their rationale is not enough. That they need some sort of revelation. He uses the word resonance. Resonance that has to enlighten us. That we can't just get from to the, the tree of full understanding, to the tree of knowledge. That we need this revelation through the tree of life. And of course that's what I refer to as the Holy Spirit. The tree of life is the Holy Spirit. That the divine spark, the yod of the Hebrew language, I've said it, said it in a lot of different ways, where there's a little spark in us that suddenly says, oh, wait a minute. I didn't see that. And it, it, you don't come to that understanding simply by your own logic, but by this light that just awakens in you, this true awakening. Not this emotional awakening that we see going on a lot in, in the world today where they think that that new emotional revival is an awakening because they think that the Holy Spirit is an emotional experience. No, we know the Holy Spirit is a still small voice. It is a divine spark of revelation. But it's going to tell you something about you before it points out all the wickedness of the world. That's one of the the telltale signs that you can see. In chapter 2, he says, It's practical application isolates people from one another and from nature. And what he's talking about is science. The mechanism of science. It's practical application isolates people from one another. And he talks about a lot of things that do that, you know, technology and all this stuff. Well, back in Exodus or back in Genesis, where the people were going into the bondage of Egypt, where they were selling 20% of their labor in the future so that they could eat today. They were borrowing against the future. They were borrowing from the Pharaoh who had put up these supplies and said if you feed us we'll give you 20% of our labor they were selling themselves into bondage if you give us your dainties your benefits this welfare of the state this legal charity of the state we will we will give you 20% of our labor in exchange from now on And, and so they agreed to that and they went into the bondage. And of course the Bible tells you, although I, I have never heard a preacher point this out. I'm sure some have, but it's very rare. That the reason they went into bondage wasn't because there was a famine. 
is because they had sold their own brother into bondage. And if you sell your brother into bondage, if you're willing to put your neighbor into bondage today so that you can have free stuff today, when you wake up tomorrow, you will be in bondage. And since you have done that yesterday, today you wake up and you're in bondage. You're not in a free nation. In the United States, in Canada, in Australia, in, certainly in China, certainly in uh, Thailand or Germany or England, you're not free. You're back in the bondage of Egypt where before the year is out, 20% of your labor is going to go to whatever government you're in. And it's right that that should be that way because you are willing to create your cities of blood your, you, where we be the, the flesh and the city be the cauldron. And you all go into one pot, one cauldron, one purse. There's a proverb about one purse. If sinners entice you and say, let's all have one purse, let's all have one cauldron, let's all have one city-state, let's all have one system of social welfare. Don't consent. Because it runs towards death. It runs towards totalitarianism. And so, Desmond is is talking about all these same things, but he's using his own vocabulary of a psychologist. It's a it's a remarkable book. So is the Bible. But when you read it, you need to sit down with the Holy Spirit when you read it, <laughs> so that you actually begin to see. But what I want to point out in the, is. From the beginning of this program, we've been saying it. What you need to see is yourself. We can see all kinds of problems with industrialization and mechanization and and uh, technology, which he mentions more than once in the book. Chapter three says, "How is how its utopian pursuit of an artificial and rationally controllable universe equates to the destruction of the essence of life." You know, because it creates an artificial society. I didn't finish my thought when, when in Genesis, it says that the Pharaoh moved them to the cities. And we see that moved them to the cities. I have an article I've started, I haven't finished it yet, where constantly in Israel they're talking about, and the people went back to their tents. And then in another verse later on they'll say they went back to their cities. And then another article, they'll say they went back to their cities. And then they say that, what is David to us? And they went back to their tents. What they're, the, the word city, the same word for city in, in the Hebrew language is also the word for terror. Something to be afraid of. What they're talking about to their civil governments. See, when they, when they created civil governments that exercised authority one over the other, which they did when they picked Saul, they elected Saul to be their president, I mean, to be their king. Being facetious there, but that's what they were doing. To be their chief executive officer. He, he was actually first elected to be their commander in chief, because they needed somebody to run the army. And, and of course, if you were to translate the words commander-in-chief into Latin, 
you would translate it emperor. Because that's what emperor means. Imperator means commander in chief. These patterns are repeated throughout the universe of our existence, which is this earth. That's pretty much, I mean, we can look out to the stars, but so far Elon hasn't even got to Mars yet. <laughs> but uh, uh, we're, we're pretty much imprisoned on this planet till we find out what creation is really all about. I mean, we were made in the image of God. But when we fled the garden because we couldn't face the light, and we see that that pattern developing almost immediately when we decided to decide for ourselves what was good and evil with our own intellect, our own tree of knowledge, we realized we couldn't do it. And we were ashamed of what we had done because we were told not to do that. That it would not be a good idea. But we did it. And we were ashamed of that. We were so ashamed of We hid. That's what Adam did. He hid. And he tried to cover up his sin. You're still doing that to this day. You don't want to admit, you know, I haven't sat down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and tried to care for my neighbor as much as I would want my neighbor to care for me. Okay, maybe you're not throwing your neighbor into bondage, but you're not helping him out of the pit of his own bondage. I mean, how many times have you seen me share something that you thought was really good and you told me you liked it, but you didn't share it with anybody else? In order to seek the kingdom of God, you have to share the truth with others. Even if they won't like you for it. But you have to be willing to share. Now, yeah, okay, we do have a warning about casting pearls to swine. But but are you not sharing the truth because you fear the repercussions of sharing the truth? That's not good. That's not good. In uh, chapter 4, Matthias says, you know, uh, you know, in his attempting to demonstrate how it's belief in objectivity and measurability of the world leads to absurd arbitrariness and subjectivity. So, now, that is, that is a statement full of things. He, he, he will talk in subsequent chapters and clarify what he's saying, but I'm going back to these chapters four, which we've already covered in previous shows. But, what he's saying, a belief in objectivity and measurability. Because when you get into quantum mechanics, things don't measure out. There seems to be some sort of an additional influence, unseen influence over creation, over the objective universe. We see it, you know, is light a particle or is it, uh, or is it a wave? Which is it? We have this, why, does the observer affect what he observes by simply observing it? So, anyway, like I said, in as subsequent chapters he talks about this. But um, the, the re- reality is, is that there is more, the atheist isn't going to see this. He only, he, he only, he, he is his own Christ. 
He is his own anointed Messiah. What he believes is that he has his reality. Now, I say this, at least about the atheist that was I heard in the interview. But uh, all atheists are not the same. <laughs> and uh, some of them, they are atheists because they are so angry at false religion. And I understand that anger. But finding the truth is about forgiveness. It isn't about false anger. It isn't about anger with those who have lied. It's about seeking the truth. And and you can't even, if you're busy being angry at those who deceived you and lied to you about so many things, you won't have the energy to seek the truth. You have to let go. You have to forgive. Remembering that your forgiveness is not absolution. There's still recompense for whatever lies people tell. But what your what forgiveness is for you, or should be for you, is leaving judgment to God. And uh, that's what we all need to do. We need to leave judgment to God. By the time he does get into chapter 5, he says, uh, or well, he at least discusses the fate of another great ambition of science to liberate man from his anxiety and his moral commands of prohibition his people don't like to be told don't do that don't do that and they think that the ten commandments are or moral commands or prohibitions you know thou shalt not commit adultery and that that's very frustrating with a lot of people to not commit adultery <laughs> but uh, not committing adultery has to do with not adulterating. It's not just a sexual issue. I mean, when you eat uh, garbage because you feed your tongue rather than feed your body, and you know you're eating garbage, and you still do it, you're adulterating your body. You're putting something in your body that you probably shouldn't be putting in your body. And... It isn't so much the act of doing that because it all supposedly comes out in the drought according to Jesus, not what you put in your mouth. But the the reality is, is it's the spirit of being willing to adulterate your body to get satisfaction, to get a good feeling. I mean, that you adulterate the Holy Spirit by imagining that the Holy Spirit is about emotionalism. You don't want to do that. The Holy Spirit is this still small voice. Which only comes when you're still. When you when you stop answering questions for God. I mean that's what judgment is. When you're judging your neighbor. Not leaving judgment to God. You're usurping God. So when you stop judging your neighbor. Stop, stop judging Trudeau. Stop judging Biden. Stop judging Trump. I use those as our modern people that we, I mean, we could say the same thing about Henry VIII or or whoever. I mean, that's everybody's always trying to blame somebody else for their problems. and But it's really not about blaming them for their problems. It's, it's about usurping God. It's about putting something in your head so you don't have to see your own failings, your own shortcomings and so that's what meditation is supposed to be all about although there's all kinds of meditations but meditation is about 
waiting on the Lord, waiting for the Lord's answer. Seeing all the answers that your brain just pops up. The, the intergenerational answers. Because the, the fact that your parents were under the, a mass psychosis, <laughs> and your grandparents were under some form of mass psychosis. I mean, I have great respect for my parents, great respect for my grandparents. Going back generations after generations, we once thought we were related to a group that were known as the Black Dolans. My dad spent several days studying the genealogy charts until he came out relieved that we're not related to them. <laughs> because he was very concerned that we were related to the Black Dolans. They were called Black because they were pretty bad guys. But uh, Black Hearts kind of thing. There's nothing racial there. But uh, the reality was is that we evidently weren't related. But actually, if you take the reality a little farther, we're all related. We're all related one way or another. And we're all part of this in the same, same equal fashion. And we, we need to find out our role in this cosmic relationship. And, and that's kind of what Matthias is trying to get at when he's looking at this. But the Ten Commandments are commands and prohibitions. They're wisdom. We'll be right back to Keys of the Kingdom. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. But anyway, in this uh, chapter 5... He talks about this industrialization, mechanization, and being not able to get rid of the anxiety that comes from the moral commands and prohibition. And this is where I probably differ a little bit from what Matthias is saying. Is because it sounds like when he's talking originally in the book that he's talking about that the cause is the industrialization and mechanization and technology. But, I, and I said this earlier in the earlier recordings, that they're actually a, the vehicle, that the cause goes actually farther back. And, and uh, you know, I just dealt with uh, this, you know, we had an article up for years on uh, Yuri uh, uh, Bezmenov and uh, his uh, ideological subversion that he says was a part of the KGB's efforts to create this ideological subversion. And I believe that long before the the Soviets were trying to do this in America, that we were already becoming ideologically subverted and they were just contributing to that. And that ideological subversion is, is the fact that we began to think that it was moral to force our neighbors to contribute to what we wanted whether it was public education or Social Security or Medicare, Medicaid and all these other programs and, you know, the New Deal and the Great Society and everything. That somehow we thought that it was okay to create a utopia by force through legal charity, which is the antithesis of what Christ came to teach us, what John the Baptist was teaching. You don't do it by force. You do it by charity. You do it by love. That was another debate. I heard people debating about love. Well, they're, they're very clearly, there are two kinds of love. There's the love of things that you want. You know, I want this woman. I want this man. I want this husband. I want this wife. 
I want this car because I love that car. I love that music. I love that church because it makes me happy. It is my comforter. But it's the Holy Spirit that's supposed to be your comforter. But those are all I want loves. Those are all lusts, desires. When God loves the world, He wants to give life to the world. That's the other kind of love. How many people learn that love when they're raising their children and they realize that being a parent is constantly being sacrificing your own life for the life of your children. Sacrificing your life for others. That's what the church is supposed to be doing. Helping you sacrifice your life for others. In a daily ministration of fervent charity. That's not, that's not the church of Joe Biden. That's not the church of Donald Trump. That's not the church of, uh, Mao Zedong. Or Nimrod. They want to make sure that they decide what is good and evil. Who gives what and when they give and how much they should give. Those are directives. The Ten Commandments are wisdom. Statements of wisdom. To love God. Love the thing that created the universe. Of course you can say, well I don't believe anything created the universe. We're just all a mechanical, cosmic, chemical reaction. <laughs> well, okay. That uh, That's not what all the great scientists of the world come to the conclusion. The more they learn about science, the more they believe that there is something, a divine intelligence. But, there, you, you know, maybe you've, somebody told you that 97% of scientists agree that there is no God. <laughs> Just like they agree that there is climate change. Did everybody ever hear how those statistics came about? Asking 5,000 people. Sam, supposed scientists, you know, is climate change caused by men, basically. that I don't know the exact verbiage that he used, but the, he didn't use 5,000 responses. He didn't get 5,000 responses. He got a few thousand responses, and then he picked 77 of them. And the 77 that he picked, 76 of them, said that there was <laughs> climate change due to men. And he only let one in who said that otherwise. Now there are thousands of scientists saying that the, the threat of global warming is not immediate. There, there is no reason to do all these things that is destroyed. This is just a, an excuse to destroy mankind. This is the goal. Now, that doesn't mean everybody who believes in climate change has got that as their goal. They're just under a mass formation of psychosis. Because they fell into the trap of, it's somebody's fault. It's not my fault. It's somebody else's fault. They will actually do this while they're jet-setting around the world, saying that it's somebody else's fault for creating pollution. <laughs> but, uh, they have a dysphoria for the truth. And that's okay. That's that's to be expected if they deny the truth. They're not going to get away with it. What I'm concerned about is you. 
And I'm also concerned about my own dysphoria with the truth. How much of the truth am I willing to see? How much of the truth am I willing to share with you? Well, sometimes I hold back. You're just not ready. But the Holy Spirit knows what it's doing and that's who I'm trying to get you to listen to. Matthias reveals some serious insight when he writes in that same chapter. Sometime in the 17th century, he goes on to say, the star of human intellect appeared in the sky. The star of human intellect. Is is he playing with metaphors here? <laughs> star of Bethlehem and the star of human intellect. Is this the other star? The other source of light? Now that, that star of human intellect is going to require emotionalism. Because it, it has no light of its own. And of course, the adversary, Satan, who we call Satan, Beelzebub, the, can appear as an angel of light. Just as you can think that you're wise in your own eyes. But it's vanity. In order to receive the light of the tree of life, that requires humility. And realize that you cannot generate that life on your own. He goes on to say there was no longer any reason to accept the social contract imposed on society by the clergy. Well, how did the clergy impose a social contract? Well, we know in in 1060, 1066, that uh, William the Conqueror conquered a guy named Harold and, and, and those people who supported Harold in England and said that he was now king. Well, all he did was assume the role of Harold. There was another Harold that also had the right to the throne. But, uh, and there was a dual system of law going on in England at that time. Everybody who was fighting against him and his claim against Harold, which was about money, uh, had to take an oath of fealty. Just like you had to take an oath of fealty when you joined up with Egypt to get the free bread of Egypt. Because you you would try to make war on the supposed legitimate claim that uh, William the Conqueror had against Harold, because Harold had made a promise and then reneged on it. That now you were defeated, if he was going to let you get up, you had to take an oath of fealty to William the Conqueror. Everybody wasn't supporting Harold, so they weren't subject to William the Conqueror. But over the years that followed, the whole process gave him more and more power and people did not depend on the ways of righteousness and they fell one kingdom after another until all of Great Britain was under the king. Pretty much all of Great Britain. Not entirely. But who crowned William the Conqueror? Well, that was the church. The clergy of a church. wasn't the church, it thought it was the church, but it was a church. And we could go into the whole history of that. But, so that was a social compact that said that 
there was a divine right of kings. And of course the divine right of kings comes from your, your foolishness and follies. I mean, Saul became king because of your foolishness. But Saul lost his kingdom because of his foolishness. So you can go to preparing you and look up foolish and find out what was, you can look up Saul. Uh, what was the Saul syndrome? Saul thought that he could force the contributions of the people to provide for what he thought the people needed. And that was the foolishness of Saul. And that's why Saul's kingdom was, he was only elected to be the commander in chief. Not to tax the people. Although the people were warned in Samuel 8 that if you decide to have a commander in chief, he's going to take and take and take and take and take and take and take. Now, occasionally you'll have a commander in chief who is after the heart of God and he'll repent and he won't take as much. But then his son, Solomon, may take more and turn you back to a corvi, which, of course, Solomon was doing. We talk about this in our articles on Solomon where we cover this in the Bible. I mean, that was what Solomon... And they even brought that up in Jordan Peterson's study and we brought it up as well in our study of Exodus. This Solomon was taking the people back to the corvi Back to the bondage of Egypt. Well, of course, you're all back in the bondage of Egypt because you don't really understand the Bible. You don't really believe in Jesus Christ and you haven't been really following his way. But again, like I said, that's the good news because now you know what you need to repent of. The star of human intellect was our own tree of knowledge. And, And this clergy was not the clergy of Christ but the clergy of Constantine. And it so therefore it took you in the ways of Constantine. Because Constantine didn't say everybody had to repent and get baptized in his Edict of Milan. He just said get baptized. And the priests that followed the clergy of Constantine, which was not most of the church at that time. We know that, like I say, there was 1,200 known bishops who were all ordered to come to his council and just barely 300 people showed up and many of them left before the council was over. The next council was 150. This is not a quorum. But it was posing as the Church of Constantine. That wouldn't come to real power until men like William the Conqueror. Because they crowned men like William the Conqueror. But Christ didn't come to crown men over men. He came to set the captive free. If you were actually doing what Christ said instead of doing what Nimrod said and what Caesar said and what FDR said, you would understand the ways and you could do something about it. Now, you wouldn't be able to do enough. This is too big. This is too big for me, too big for you, too big for most of us, even if we came together. But it's not too big for God. And ultimately, there, you know, uh, people talk about, uh, you know, I've had several conversations this week. Uh, uh, we actually had a conversation with uh, one of the young members of the order who was talking about uh, somebody who came to the White Rock Festival that we had in the spring and we may have again next spring. Uh, 
that wants to teach people Latin. <laughs> I thought that was, well, that's unique. Uh, he, he makes rope. He teaches rope making. I believe that's the case. And that's what they do is the primitive skills at the White Rock Gathering. That's what we have done the first time, the first annual. That's what we did. But uh, we may do more in the future. And uh, the event may become bigger and bigger. And we're doing it as an exercise in finding out how big events can we have here. And uh, how can we bring the kingdom into those events in a practical festival type way. Because there were festivals in ancient Israel. There were festivals in the early church. We don't we don't read about it, but those of us who study history closely see that, that they were. But there's a Latin phrase, protectio trahit subjectionem. Subjectio protectionem. And that's from Coke. Coke writes in Latin. That's that's one of the maxims of law. It means protection draws to it subjection and subjection protection. And so if you look to the government for protection, the government of the world for protection, for protection from hunger, protection from want, then you will become a subject of the world. But the kingdom of God is not of that world, that world of Rome at least. It is on the planet, but it's not of the world of Rome. So, where are you going to look for your protection from want? I mean, obviously, we, we, we hear in the news, besides all the corruption in government, we hear that there may be food shortages and uh, power shortages and all these things going on. And we see excess deaths going up by 50% in places like Iceland. And So, what's going on? Well, a lot of bad things. Solar max. Uh, is coming up, and of course there could be another Kerrigan event, and we could be afraid of all those things, or we could repent and not move from fear, but move from love for one another, real love, the love that Jesus spoke of, because the love that Jesus spoke of is charity. That love is not what you want coming in, coming to you, I want this woman, I want this car, I want this property, I want this money, you know, that's what everybody's praying for, what they want. When you should be praying for the Eucharist of Christ, which is the opportunity of giving to others. Because as you give, so shall you be given. As you forgive, so shall you be forgiven. As you lay down your life, you shall pick up your life more abundant. That's the love of Christ. Not the people who say, I love Jesus. And I want lots of stuff at my neighbor's expense. I love my neighbor, but I want my neighbor to provide free education, free health care, free old age benefits, all these things. Wow. That's not love. That's not the love of Christ. That's the love of stuff. That's a covetous practice. It leads to a covetous practice. And so, yeah, that's the problem. The means and the method of protection synchronizes the soul of man with the gods of that system. So if the gods of your system are Caesar and Nimrod and Pharaoh and Cain and FDR and LBJ and Joe Biden and Trump, because Trump's still in favor of that. He does 
So one touch of Social Security, it's bankrupt. It's been bankrupt from the beginning. It's never, ever, ever, ever been solvent. Because there is no division of funds. We go through this. We'll read our article on Social Security. Desmond saw that bondage was debt. Way back there in the introduction. That debt is bondage. Bondage is debt. We hear every day on the news that the debt keeps going up. So you go deeper and deeper into bondage. Well, the debt is to what? And you say, well, I don't want to give up my benefits. I don't want to give up their promises to me, even though they weren't promises. They say right in the agreement, if you actually read it, they don't have to give you any benefits, but you still owe. They can take away your straw, but you still owe the tally of bricks. Same thing. Repetition of history. Repetition of a spirit. The spirit of Pharaoh, the spirit of Cain, the spirit of Nimrod, or the spirit of Christ. Which do you have? Which do you cultivate? Which are you willing to bring into the light? Are you willing to walk into the light and be the light on the hill? Are you willing to give your neighbors the right to choose? Freedom is the right to choose, the right to create for oneself the alternative of choice. Well, you don't get to create the alternative of choice for yourself if you won't give your neighbor the right to choose. I mean, the brothers of Joseph didn't give him the right to choose. And so they lost the right to choose. And they went into bondage. This is, this is cause and effect. It's there. Whether you like it or not. If even you're an atheist, you believe in cause and effect, you believe in all the causes of the universe, but you're not willing to look at all the causes of the universe. Without the possibility of choice, in the exercise of choice, a man is not a man, but a member, an instrument, a thing. He becomes a person. And that's what you've done. But all you have to do, that's, that's also the good news. Because all you have to do is repent and seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So, in his chapter 6, The Rise of the Masses, Matthias' words ring of more truth than he may let on. I don't know. I think it would be wonderful to have a conversation with him and get into these things in more depth. But I have a feeling that he toned down many of the things that he said from what he actually is beginning to believe or has begun to believe. Maybe he's leaving some of the discovery to the readers uh, in this chapter, The Rise of the Masses. It, it is congealing of the masses into a common collective, a one purse, as the Bible says. I have a link there in, uh, on our page to our article on one purse. You can look, look it up at Preparing You. Where the masses are bound together by consent, which the ancient sages of liberty warned us not to do, not to engage in that. Thou shalt have no other gods before me, it says in Exodus 23. Thou shalt make no covenant with them nor with their gods. That's consent, no agreement with them. Nor with their gods. Exodus twenty three thirty two, 
And when the Lord thy God shall deliver them before thee, thou shalt smite them and utterly destroy them. Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor show mercy unto them. This utterly destroy and smite. You know, we have a whole article on put to death. And even even uh, Prager and uh, and uh, the Daily Wire guy, uh, Ben Shapiro, were saying that, no, that that's a metaphor. Doesn't actually mean to put all these people to death. And of course in our article on stoning, doesn't actually mean hitting people in the head with rocks. And of course once you know what the stones of the temple are, that they're not rocks, they're living men, then now you know the stoning is that, well, you're out of the system of social welfare. We're not gonna, we're not gonna take care of you because you're doing these egregious things. Now if you repent, we might let you come back. But you don't need us anyway because you have your own system of social welfare based on totalitarianism. Based on men who exercise authority one over the other. Because Jordan Peterson in his symposium didn't recognize that the altars of Abraham and the altars of Moses were a system of social welfare. Were a safety, social safety net. It, that, that Jonathan uh, Pujol was wrong when he said they didn't have a system of social safety net. Yeah, they did. That's the altars. That's what they are. But that, that you may have a dysphoria about admitting that because that would mean that everybody's been telling you a lie and you've accepted a lie, that you believe a lie, that they didn't have a system of social welfare. Now, the difference between their system and your system today is theirs was operating by charity, which is the same word for love, and yours today is operating by force, which is the same word for totalitarianism. So your totalitarianism is what has given you leaders who are totalitarian. Until you realize that, until you know the whole truth of that, and provide for it, you will not win the revolution. <laughs> you will not even have a revolution. Because you're already revolting. <laughs> you're revolting against God. Because you have consented. And ye shall make no league, which means covenant, same word for covenant, with the inhabitants of this land. You shall throw down their altars. Why their altars? What altars are theirs? What's the... Turtle dove goddess altars. The altars of Nisi. The altars of welfare through men who exercise authority. You will cast off those altars. You will turn your back on those altars. You will uh, cut off those altars from your day-to-day life. In order to do that, you need to build the altars of God. But ye have not obeyed my voice. Why have ye done this? You've built the altars of Nisi. Not Jehovah Nisi, but the turtle dove goddess of Nisi, of Sumer, of Nimrod, of Babylon. Altars that operate by force. Even though Proverbs tells you, My son, if sinners entice these, consent thou not. You know, that's when he talks about the one purse running towards death. Thou art snared with the words of thy mouth. Thou art taken with the words of thy mouth. Because you agree to those systems. 
He that walketh with the wise men shall be wise, but companion of fools shall be destroyed. Who? What fools? The fools that exercise authority one over the other. That are willing to take away from their neighbor so that they can have stuff for free. These are the fools. They're not walking with Christ. They're not born again. They're not Christians even. Okay, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. I think we're on station. Anyway, we had a little technical difficulty there, but we were talking about my son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. In Proverbs 1.10. And that the, the words of the mouth that, that were snared. And James tells us, above all else, stop the taking of oaths. Jesus says, swear not. And why are we swearing? Is that we're giving our word that we're going to give our labor to Pharaoh if he gives us free bread. And that's how they went into the bondage of Egypt. That's not why they went into the bondage of Egypt. But that's how they went into the bondage of Egypt. The reason they went into the bondage bondage of Egypt was because they were willing to put their own brothers in the bondage of Egypt. They weren't putting Egyptians into bondage because the food that the Pharaoh had put up was collected out of his own wealth and prosperity. Because even the people of Egypt were not in the bondage of Egypt before the famine. It was the famine that brought them also into the bondage of Egypt. And when the rigors got worse in Exodus... The people learned to take care of one another during the famines and followed the guidance of Moses who was trying to lead them to this same thing of the Holy Spirit. And we we went into a lot of that during our study of Exodus, but there's even more to it. But it, but in order to receive that more, and I'm thinking kind of that this is what Matthias is doing, in order to receive that more, that that you need to actually start to walk in the ways of righteousness. Then you won't necessarily have to receive it from me. You can receive it from the Holy Spirit. You you will receive it from your conversation with one another. We're taking you back to that word conversation. You can look that up at Preparing You. I have a whole article on that. When you get down to where we talk about the word that is translated into conversation is polytume. And polytuma which comes from the word polis, which means actually, uh, polytume, means to be a citizen. They don't always translate it that way. And we show you some of the places that it appears in the, in the text, you know, where Paul talks about living. And in Acts, he's actually talking about his conversation, his citizenship in heaven. Not a citizenship of Rome. See, the, the, the translators and the perpetrators of the apostate church want you to think that Paul was a Roman citizen. When it's very clearly that Paul was Romeos. Now that became, hundreds of years later, a term that was attributed to Roman citizens. But at that time, Romeos did not mean a Ro- Roman citizen. Quirus meant a Roman citizen. Romaeus was a Greek word that meant you were whole. That your rights were intact. That's what it meant. 
And his rights were intact because his father was not a subject citizen of Rome. And he was born to this status of Romeos. Even the head centurion of the cohorts was not Romeus until he paid a great sum for that privilege. Well, even the lowest centurion of centurions was a Roman citizen. They were automatically given Roman citizen when they became a, a centurion. And certainly the head of the court would have that. He wouldn't have to pay a great sum for it to be a Roman citizen because it's that's not what the word means. Any historian worth his salt knows that. But they have a almost phobia for the truth. <laughs> Not just a dysphoria for it, but an actual phobia for the truth. But if you're still listening, maybe you don't have a phobia for the truth. But, it again, back to, it wasn't industrialization, mechanization, and technology that caused the problem. What caused it? Well, we can go back one step. The loneliness and isolation was the lack of the social bonds of society. But why were there the lack of the social bonds of society? Well, one of the reasons we became too affluent. But it really you can't blame it on affluence. It's because we didn't have to sacrifice as much for one another because we were all so prosperous. Like I said, my great-grandfather was rich, plowing behind mules, walking behind mules in North Dakota wheat farms. How did you get rich up there? All my North Dakota relatives would laugh if they heard me say that, except they're all rich now because they, they discovered oil under <laughs> their land. <laughs> it wasn't the wheat that made them rich, although they made a good living. But they had to work hard in North Dakota to make a good living at wheat today. Because, I mean, wheat bushel, until just recently, wasn't much different than it was when I worked on wheat farms back in the 70s. So, uh, actually, I think it was back there even in the late 60s. So, But uh, the reality is the cause of that loneliness is a willingness to not sacrifice for the well-being of one another. When America was becoming great, we were doing this. We were creating all kinds of systems, hospitals, uh, uh, care homes, everything, entirely with charity. You didn't need Medicare payments, Medicaid payments, Social Security payments to take care of the elderly. You were able to do it with your own wealth. We're going to have to go back to that. We have a project coming up if you're in the network and and you in the living network and you have a minister we have a call just this week and we're talking about a big project where we actually will take care help take care of the needy in a righteous way to make every family stronger so that we can return the res- you cannot return every man to his family and to his possession until you return the responsibility of every family to that family that's the only way back and it still wouldn't be enough without the power of God intervening. But if you want the power of God to intervene, you have to repent like the prodigal son 
go back to the ways of righteousness. And that's going to be a journey. And it may be a bumpy one. But uh, I have another section under this chapter 6, the rise of the masses cause nullification. And it gets into a whole area uh, that you'll have to do a lot of studying. But, you know, one of the reasons that Christ condemned the Pharisees was they were not attending to the weightier matters. And if you go into 90% of the Christian churches today, ask 90% of the ministers today, what did Christ list off as the weightier matters? Most of them will not be able to tell you what Christ called the weightier matters. And of course, so we had to write a whole article on the weightier matters. But they also can't tell you what the Corbin of the Pharisees was, because there was a Corbin of Christ. So what was the Corbin of the Pharisees? And how in the world was the Corbin of the Pharisees making the word of God to none effect? So much so that sons were doing no more ought for their parents. Why? Because the Corbin of the Pharisees was a system of social security. Set up by the state. And the Pharisees. By Herod and the Pharisees. Where if you signed up, you had to pay in. And there were men to come around and collect so that the treasury was overflowing so it could build the golden temple of dead stone instead of the temple of God. Through the righteous stones, the righteous souls of men, all attending to the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith. All attending to pure religion in a daily ministration of charity. That's the kingdom of God. It's not an emotional feeling you get because you went to this church you really like. That is such a comfort to you. You only need a church that is a comfort to you because you don't have the Holy Spirit, which is supposed to be your comforter. And that's not a physical comfort that it gives you, although you will obtain a physical comfort from it. But it's a spiritual comfort. But it's not comfortable to see the fact that you're not really born again. You're not really saved. You're not really a believer in Christ you're not really a doer of the word. You say you do. But Christ says, not those who say, Lord, Lord. Not those who sing in the church. Not those who say praises about me and wave their hands that they love Jesus. But those who do it the will of the Father. And we know it's not the will of the Father that you covet your neighbor's goods through men who exercise authority or through any means to take away from your neighbor. So that you can have free stuff. And certainly not by all consenting to that. Because it's not, it's not the prohibition against stealing. Taxation is not theft. Taxation is covetousness. Because you all joined the system. Or your parents joined you in. It doesn't really matter. Don't blame your parents. You're supposed to love your parents. But blame yourself for not seeing it. Then forgive yourself and now see it. <laughs> and pursue it as if your soul depended upon it. Because it does. But what the weightier matters are, you could be dealing with in, in a micro-mass, which we call the jury. I have whole articles on the jury. Fascinating story. I lived this story. And what jury nullification is. If you want to understand what that is, you have to go, and I have the links there on the page, uh, about the Matthias's book. So you can go and study about juries and what the common law says. And the common law goes for England and probably goes for Holland as well. 
but it's it's probably hid under more and more years. But you know, I mean, the cases that we quote in America concerning jury nullification, where the jury has the right to decide fact and law, which is a better place than the streets with all your tractors in Holland. Is it you need? But you you can't have your juries back unless you start taking your responsibility back of taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. I know people who live in Holland, Denmark. Uh, you know, and they, they, they talk about euthanasia being a real problem in the hospitals. That, that, that if your loved ones are in an accident, you want to get down there before they euthanize them. They actually say that that's a problem. But that's because you've been looking to the government to take care of your elderly. And you need to repent of that. And because protection draws subjection. So if you're looking to the government to protect you, you're going to be subject. Citizens of Holland, Denmark, England, Germany, uh, wherever. Sweden, Norway. They have to take your responsibilities back if you want your rights back. And your rights were originally God-given rights. But we've rejected the commandments of God and the will of God and what is, would be called the right reason because will of God and right reason are synonymous or, or interchangeable phrases. And until we are willing to walk into the light of that tree of life, we cannot know ourselves. We, we cannot know ourselves until we're willing to know others and forgive others. And the way we learn to know others and forgive others is have that conversation with others. Matthias talks about the others, the lack of meaning and the removal of the other. You know, constantly in in the presence of the absence of another. But who is the other? I mean, we have husband and wife, which is a great domestic relationship. We were talking about that yesterday with some people. The kingdom of God has always been from generation to generation. And the other of the husband and wife is their children. To take care of their children. But if we're looking, that's the family. That's within the family. But if we're looking for the kingdom, the kingdom is multiple families. The masses of families. But they're not in a common pot, so we don't call them masses. Because each family is individual and composed of individuals. But the other has to be the other family. If we're carrying that principle, a husband and wife caring about the next generation, the children they have not yet given birth to, and the children they have given birth to, and the grandchildren their children will give birth to, that's the other within the family. But when the families come together, they have to care about the next family as much as they care about their own. And they do that in free assemblies. If they don't do it in free assemblies, they're on the road to totalitarianism. Free assemblies are supported by charity alone, by the love of Christ. And the love of Christ is what goes out. It's not what you want to come in. It's not the prosperity gospel. It's the giving liberty back to your neighbor gospel so that you can pick up liberty more abundant in your own family. 
You have to give the next family a choice. And you have to do that now. If you do that in your congregation, it has to care about the next congregation as much as it cares about its own congregation. How was Paul able to collect funds from all over Greece and the known world and Syria and Ephesus and redistribute it? The, the general ministers were rightly dividing bread from house to house. Paul was rightly dividing bread from nation to nation because Paul was preaching the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Not the comfort of my little congregation. My little groupy groups in the woods. No. He was thinking kingdom. And his kingdom was a light unto the world. And Christ was that king. And Christ was king in the hearts of every man. But that's not the way of modern society. So what's the deal? Why aren't we all part of the kingdom of God? Because we haven't really repented yet. We haven't really received the baptism of Jesus Christ. The baptism of Jesus Christ got you kicked out of the social welfare system of the pharaohs. Now the Romans, and I said the pharaohs, of the Pharisees, got you kicked out of the social welfare system of the Pharisees, which was the Corbin that was making the word of God to none effect. The sacrifice, because that's what Corbin means, that was making the word of God to none effect, because it wasn't a free will offering. It was a forced offering. It was legal charity. It was according to the ways of the city-states of Cain, of Nimrod, of Babylon, of Sumer, and the turtle dove goddess, of the pharaoh's bondage of Egypt, of Caesar's imperial cult of Rome, run through the temples of Rome, which were the government temples of Rome. Yeah, they had a temple that minted coin. Yeah, they had a temple that was a social insurance that was underwriting nation after nation, 127 different nations. That was the temple over there in Ephesus. And, and they had a, a temple of Saturninus, which is where you put your birth certificate to see if you were going to be eligible for the tutor of society, the 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 welfare of society, the elementa eventually under Nerva and Trajan and all of them, which paid for your free education, which paid for your health care. So you had to register, and of course Marcus Aurelius made it mandatory that you had to register the birth of your child within 30 days. In in America, you're supposed to do it within five days. And that will determine whether or not you can get the benefits, including the benefit like passport. If you have a passport, you're in the system. Even if you get a passport without a social security number. Now, that's a fact. I don't want people throwing away their passport and throwing away their social security number. I want people to repent and seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness because that is where the gospel of the kingdom begins. That will change you. Not you changing your mind. You let go of the lie. That it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods through men who exercise authority because that leads to tyranny. People are dead to the truth because they don't want to admit that biting one another through the, through the government teeth 
is literally turning the whole nation into the walking dead. You know, that, I, I, I've seen a little bit of the walking dead series. Um, my, my son had watched it and told me about it. Uh, my oldest son. And he says it, it's not the zombies who are the walking dead. It's all the selfish people who are killing one another in order to survive. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the zombies are biting people, but it's everybody who is out to survive at the expense of others. Our whole society is now the walking dead. And there is no argumentum ad populum, more Latin, or argumentum ab uh, actoriate, which is authority. There is no argument for that because, or, or against it. Because you've all entered into the cities of blood. You have all entered into the flesh pots of Egypt, the flesh pots of Babylon, taking a bite out of one where you're the flesh. That's the masses. But the kingdom of God is composed of individuals. And individuals are bound together in their families. And the families are only bound together by love for one another. And a free assembly. That's what makes them peculiar. They're not a democracy. You know, I, I point out, never, never join a democracy of zombies. <laughs> of people that are willing to bite one another in order to get what they want. Uh, that's, just, uh, that's just strategically a bad idea. Is, is there still a reality beyond the one created by the masses that the ideology of those who are created you know, the, those ideologies that are created by the masses. And there's a lot of ideologies out there. There's 40,000 denominations. There's woke crowds. They will eat one another. You know, that the masses are a million biting insects that are willing to draw blood from you in order to survive. I mean, that's what the mosquitoes are. They're willing to draw blood from you so that they can reproduce. They, they're getting something from your blood. They don't necessarily need it, but they want it. And so, but is there a reality beyond the masses? Well, of course there is. And you can get there by willing to walk into the light of the tree of life. See, you're part of it. You get out of the masses by freeing the masses from you, not freeing yourself from the masses. You, you, by, that's why the first word in the instructions of Christ and John the Baptist is to repent, to think differently. You're not going to get freedom by taking it from others. You're going to get freedom by giving freedom back to others. You're not going to be forgiven unless you forgive. You're not going to be given to by God unless you give to others. It, it's a reverse. The love you need to have for your neighbor is not, you don't want him to have a good feeling <laughs> that comes with emotionalism and singing your songs and hugging one another in your mutual admiration society. It's the love that comes with giving the truth to one another, which takes us back to what I said at the beginning. 
of sharing the truth with others. Going to get you into a lot of flack, a lot of dutch. And of course, I want you to be led by the Holy Spirit in that sharing. Because there are swines out there that will turn on you. You know, don't run up to your boss and tell them that, you know, you go to a false church. You know, that might not want to start with that. You may end up getting fired. And the goal is not to get you fired. The goal is to get you to follow the Holy Spirit and let the Holy Spirit guide you. But I don't want you to be afraid to share either. Because then you're, you're operating according to fear. Not virtue, but a vice. Fear is the absence of courage. You want to be filled with the courage of Christ. You want to be filled with the love of Christ and the love that Christ had for others where he laid down his life for others. You want to love the light and draw near the light and the darkness will go away on its own. But until then, peace on your house and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.